Howdy, everybody. Cable Smith welcoming each and every one of you into episode 28 of Campfire Conversations. It's that bonus content I try to put out as frequently as possible, and we've got a great guest lined up for today. My good friend, Ty Stubblefield, formerly of Backcountry Hunters and Anglers, will be here. Uh, but And, of course, we're going to get into his departure from BHA, why he left, uh, did he see problems with the leadership and the direction of the organization? Well, Ty's going to peel back the onion a little bit, and we're going to piss some people off. I guarantee you that. I don't care, though. That's the thing, and neither does Ty, because the truth needs to get out there. Uh, why would he leave BHA? We're going to ask him that. Was it Ryan Bussey? Was it Lantani? Um, you know, the leadership that was in place when he was there, interesting stuff. But Ty's lived an interesting life going back to his early years as a uh, a logger in Oregon where he kind of got interested in the environmental impact of that as a hunter. Uh, you might know him from his time with Born and Raised. You've probably seen him on YouTube. Millions of people have as Born and Raised is a group of diehard elk hunters. That aspect of Ty's life has not changed. Uh, and I'm sure we'll get into his archery elk season as well. Uh, and and then what is Ty up to here in 2022? Interesting career shift after his departure from BHA because uh, and he told me on our elk hunt in Montana, I think that was back in 20... God, that would have been 2019. But he mentioned that he wanted to become a bison rancher at that time. What's he up to now? Has he made that dream his reality? Yeah. We're going to get into all of that stuff. We're going to talk predators. He has an interesting take on grizzlies and wolves, one that as a conservationist might jar you a little bit. Um, but uh, yeah, it's going to be a great conversation. And I think without further ado, we're going to go ahead and get the ball rolling here. So here it is. Campfire Conversations 28 with Ty Stubblefield. Ty, welcome to the Thunderdome, my friend. Thank you. The Thunder the Thunderdome. Yeah. That's yeah. what we call this. That's what we're calling this one. Nice. <laughs> it's, a, it's the first ever Thunderdome. Uh, it's been a minute since our 2019 Montana elk hunt. But it's good to see you. You as well. That yeah, was uh, that has been a while ago. Time flies, a, huh? A good trip. Uh, you out of the three of us, the only one who got an elk. I think I shot at two. <laughs> came home. And, actually, the one you killed, I'd shot at like five seconds before you killed it. <laughs> yeah. Were you sure it was only two? Sure, it wasn't three or four that you shot at. Come on now. It's <laughs> uh, funny. All right. So we're starting with the crotch kicking right out of the gate. Let's go. That was a I, lot of fun. It was. Yeah. One of my favorite parts of that whole trip was when we we're getting to the trailhead. You're like, oh, S. We're like, what, dude? He's like, I don't have my hiking boots. <laughs> so you spent the first two days hunting in tennis shoes. I did. I mean, we're we're packed in in the backcountry. Like it was and it started raining and snow. And uh, finally, you're like, I'm going to go back. My wife's going to meet me halfway and bring me my boots. Yeah. Yeah. I. Uh, unfortunately that's not the first time that's happened in my life, but, um, I was okay until it started snowing. 
and yeah. uh, I was just wearing my hunt running shoes. I was just running shoes and uh, hunting in it wasn't that bad. It was, it wasn't, that's a nice area to hunt. It's not full of blowdown. Mm-hmm. Um, it's got, you know, nice pine forest. It's pretty nice. But yeah, when it started snowing, I had to draw the line. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Well, I think, you know, it, it was a pretty hard ass attempt just to do it for two days in tennis shoes. So uh made the most of it and and then chisholm and i got into elk while you were gone you know we're like oh we're gonna get one with ball ties not even here we'll show him (laughs) and that's when i missed so you almost uh, did yeah um have you gone back to that area uh yeah we we've been we went back there for a couple more years um killed a couple more bulls in there and then um since i've moved i haven't gone back oh it's farther now yeah i'm in a i'm like five and a half hours from there now and in okay. a better part of the state for elk. Yeah. So I don't right. venture. I don't have time to venture far from home anyway. Just yeah. with what's going on now. So, mm-hmm. but uh, I do think it's gone downhill. I think there's more pressure in there now. And uh, somebody was telling me this year that there was, there's always been wolves in there, but now the grizzly bears are starting to show up. Yeah. So when we were in there, like we didn't see any other hunters except for one time. And we're like in the middle of nowhere the, in some dark timber. And these guys walk up and I guess they'd heard us calling. And one of them was like, Oh, is that Ty Stubblefield from born and raised? And yeah. it was like small world, but that guy ended up following me on Instagram from our, our conversation there. And he sent me a picture of a grizzly bear in that area. Like a year later, and was like, Hey, remember where we ran into you? And Ty said, there's no grizzlies here. He's like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So the Grizzlies have moved in. Yeah. Sons of bitches. Yeah. Well, that Um, same kid I threatened his life. I said, don't you ever tell anybody that you saw me here. (laughs) First thing he did when he got home was tell people. Uh, Maybe that's why it's blown up and ruined. I don't know. So I forgot his name, but thanks for that. Yeah. (laughs) Um, So you were at BHA when we went on that hunt that's actually chisholm bought that hunt at uh the bha rendezvous in like 2017 or something and we'll get into your departure from bha in a minute but um let's first of all talk about this elk season right now i saw a pretty nice bull pop up on your social media yeah i got i got one yeah yeah i didn't have so um as we roll into that. So I, I, you know, I'm, we're starting a couple of new businesses and one of those is a ranch and Mm -hmm. it's my time super limited. Um, and with startups, you know, I'm not really rolling in the dough right now. And so I'm taking on extra side jobs here and there doing what I can, you know, to pay the bills and you know, I'm, I'm trucking cattle or hay for a buddy. He's got a truck. And so whenever he needs help, I go, go drive truck for him. Um, in September, I went and filmed a couple of friends for, um, Corey Jacobson's elk 101, his, uh, YouTube series, um, destination elk. Uh-huh. So I went and filmed Tyler Crockett and Lenny, um, pure elevations for two weeks in Idaho. So I was gone for two weeks in September, early September, about mid September. So I got to ho- hunt opening weekend. And I hunted with a friend who's a veteran and he's a, he was a retired combat medic and 
you know, all those things, but he'd never backcountry hunted and he never bow hunted for elk. And he helped me on the ranch all summer long. And so opening like the first five days of season, uh, went out with him, had a, I mean, he had probably five years worth of experience in five days. It was unbelievable. Huh. Had a great hunt. I ended up shooting a bear with my bow. Um, he had lots of opportunities, but he, he learned a lot, made a lot of mistakes those first five days. Uh, and, and ended up not getting an elk, but had just had a great experience. And so rolled out of that. That's when I went filmed. And then when I got back, I'd planned on taking a solid week to go elk hunting here for myself. And the neighbors needed help with sugar beets. So I ended up driving a tractor harvesting sugar beets for a week and a half. So that really mm -hmm. ate into my elk hunting time. So I didn't get to travel away from home too far. And um, I only had, you know, just a few days to get it done and i got really lucky every every day that i went out like three days and every day that i went out i had some close calls i shot and missed shot at and missed a bull um so i had i relative the how few far days was the one out. you missed uh well i think it was like 25 yards but i shot it for like 36 ah. it's like i my first so last year i didn't kill a bull in 2021 i didn't kill a bull um you know, when you start in a business, starting a ranch, like all the things are on your mind. Like my heart just wasn't in it last year. It was mm -hmm. in trying to get fencing and water and irrigation and all the stuff that needed done around the place. Like it was always eating at me. So I, I'd go be gone for two or three days and I just couldn't focus on hunting because all that stuff needed done. So mm -hmm. last year I, I did not kill an elk. And so this year was like rolling into it uh, my rookie year was bad i made a lot of dumb mistakes you know knocking the dust off yeah um but i'm glad i missed that bull because he was a small six point <laughs> right i mean i would have been happy to kill him but it ended up better than better than that but and a clean miss is always better than yeah not finding one uh 100 so with you so i'm on a freaking i'd killed elk three out of four years two in new mexico one in colorado and then you're like this jinx for me because that's when my i think i had shot at five and killed three and now i've shot at like eight and i hadn't wounded any and i've still killed three and wounded two so it's uh but the last two two years i'd wounded in new mexico and big six by six last fall um shot him for 30 no, I'm sorry. I shot him for 40. The tree I range was 40. He was 32 yards and I hit him probably eight inches high. Yeah. And, you know, just, I still have, still replay that shot in my mind. And I don't think that elk died. I really don't like, there wasn't much blood. I could see, got good penetration, but it was kind of in that no man's land. Um, I think he's probably fine. Hope, yeah. I hope he is. But, uh, but this year went to Wyoming with a buddy, spent nine days southern wyoming we think took us five years to draw um i think we needed an average of three and a half points we, we each had five so we knew we were going to draw and went um i mean it's not like it's not like places i've hunted before because i usually pack in i mean seven miles and when we went we packed in two or three miles you know um this place we just put up a wall tent on a road and hiked in and we were in elk within the first 30 minutes of our first afternoon. 
Nice. So, and we actually had camp on our backs. We were going to spike in to get away from other people um, and had food for like four days and everything. And then we were like, why are we in the and rain was coming a lot of rain. So we're like, let's just stay at the wall tent. So we had encounters every day for nine days. I only came to full draw one time, never fired an arrow, but I mean, there was one day well, we did a lot of solo hunting split up me and my buddy. Uh, one day where I called in three bulls in the archery range myself, which for me was like, man, that was high cotton for me. Right. And I came to full draw once and I could have shot a cow at 35 yards. This bull was pushing these two cows and, uh, I side held to him. And then of course he's trying to figure out what's going on. So he starts pushing them up and it's in the evening and the thermals are blowing up. The cows get right in front of me and win me. And then, and I could see him as a six by six, but I needed him to take like two more steps. And I was at full draw for seemed like forever. Um, but I would rather have that experience than the experience of letting an arrow fly and and wanting it back. So, yeah. Yeah. Because uh, you, you, like you said, you relive that for, I mean, I can remember, I can remember the very first elk I shot, I wounded and lost. uh Like that was 20 some years ago. I remember like it was yesterday. You don't, you don't forget those. Mm -mm. Um, my buddy did get one though. He shot one in the chest at 10 yards. We ate lunch to get, we hunted that morning together, split up, ate lunch, split up. And he texts me on the Garmin 45 minutes later. He's like, come help me pack this thing out. I was like, you son of a bitch. <laughs> <laughs> but I'll be honest. He's, he's a better elk hunter than I am. He's uh, and he's the one that got me into hunting. He's an Eagle scout. And while I was playing sports as a kid, he was off doing stuff in the woods. He's a, he's a very, very good woodsman. And um, we got to earn that pack out. It was, the, the pack out we did with your bull, this was, this was hell. There oh, were so was many big falls. Yeah. It was, uh, it was not fun, but, and the, and then pack, like the pack weighed, I weighed it when we got back that night and it was 104 pounds, mm-hmm. um, which you've done many pack outs where you're like, yeah, that's nothing. But well, I will say this every, every time it's something, a hundred pounds on your back. I don't care who you are. Sucks. <laughs> we tried to pack out each a hind quarter and then all of the neck meat, the, uh, fajita meat, the, um, back straps. And we made it like a hundred yards. We were like, we have to take out the back straps. Like we're dying. Like, (laughs) so he shot it in a place with so many deadfalls. I was like, dude, I said, are you in as bad a shape as I am right now? Like not physically, like, but like right now with this stuff on you, are you hurting? Cause I was like, I don't think I can make it three miles. So we took about 25 pounds out and, hung it up and when you know it just like on our hunt a freaking pine martin got into the back straps really uh-huh yeah we assume right it was yeah. just based on the they don't eat much but you could tell something got into it and it was hung in a tree um but yeah there's these people that say that they them and their buddy packed out a whole elk on their back like dude three miles i have a hard time believing that unless you're i i've done i've done it once um and it was flat as a pancake. We, mm-hmm. we, we were probably two miles mm-hmm. and dude, it was brutal. Like we, and that was we flat get, with no, no deadfalls oh, or anything flat sagebrush. Like, yeah, it was no, yeah, it was flat as it could be. And the only reason we did it is because it died out in sage flat mm-hmm. and there was coyotes just surrounded us. We knew if we left meat the coyotes, were going to get it. So mm-hmm. we packed it until we found the first bush. Basically they could get it up off the ground and hang it away from the carcass. But wow. dude, yeah. it's like, you know, a, a boned out mature bull 
is 225 to 200 and depending on the size, right? 225 to 300 pounds of boned out meat. Yeah. Like that's a lot of freaking weight. Yeah. Well, we decided we weren't that hard. And so we, <laughs> we, we went and got the, basically the back straps and scraps and the front shoulders the next day and did it all over again. Blowdown's a whole different ball game too, man. And then yeah. throw in some elevation gain and loss. You, you get crossed up and blow down and end up with a stob through your ass. You're, you're going to, you know, it's almost did it, yeah. just go light. And <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, yeah, it was, uh, but you know what, when you, when you get back to camp and you're, you know, you're humping that thing for three miles uphill, you do feel a sense of accomplishment. Like you did something that, uh, most people don't ever experience. It's certainly in today's age. Definitely in today's age. Yeah. I get I this. Yeah. Out. I get, I get this pressure build up and it's elk hunting, deer hunting, bear, whatever it is, but I, I need to go to the woods and it's, you know, to suffer. I need to go mm -hmm. suffer. I need to be cold, need to be hot. You know, um, I have to have that. Otherwise I just start losing my mind. And, yeah, I think that's the, and you could even say like, well, duck hunters get up at three o'clock in the morning to go be miserable and sit out in the freezing cold, you know, you're not physically exerting that effort, but there's days where you're just like, and your teeth are chattering. And you're like, what are we doing here? <laughs> yep. But I wouldn't trade them for anything for some sadistic reason. <laughs> just the it's way the man card resetting yeah. the man card. Yeah. Um, what's your bow setup these days? my bow setup mm -hmm. i actually went new this year i bought a one of the matthews z3x or zx3 or whatever it is mm. um i had a prime ct5 and it, i shot it pretty well shot it for three or four years um i liked it i just didn't love it i mean i could shoot it decent but there was just some inconsistencies on my end and I don't know if it's, you know, I'm getting older, my eyes aren't that great, whatever it is, but um, I, I just wasn't in love with that prime. So I called a friend of mine who's got a bow shop in Oregon, Wayne Indicott. And uh, I said, and he's, he's older than me, but he's a, he's a good archer. He's a, he's a, you know, no BS bow hunter. And he, uh, I told him like, Hey, I, I need a bow that will shoot itself. Like, you know, right. something that kind of takes me out of the equation a little bit is really forgiving. I'm not, I have no brand loyalty. I don't care. And so that's what he sent me. I'm like, and I don't have time. So just, which is one of the first times in my life I've ever, ever done this is like, Hey, just send me everything ready to go. Cause I don't have time to, to deal with building arrows and tuning and all this shit. Like I normally do that stuff myself. And I, I'm like, I I just need a bow to go hunt with because I don't have time. Uh -huh. So he sent me that um, with like the Matthews quiver. I think I got the two piece quiver and spot hog. I got the spot hog. I think I got the Tommy hogger. I know I got the hog father. Um, and then a Huskamaw rest. It's the first time I've ever shot that rest. Um, and I love the setup. I mean, it's, it, it really shoots itself. It's very forgiving. Um, and what broadheads? I shoot the QAD Exodus, one twenty-five grain. 
I I'm have again no brand loyalty. I don't nobody pays me anything for anything. Um, damn it. But those QAD Exodus are killing broadheads. I don't know why. I don't know what makes them so great. Um, but they fly amazing. They're, they're a very short broadhead. So they fly a lot like field points. And they kill shit. Like, I've, I've killed three elk with them in the last probably seven years that I call accidentally. Mm-hmm. Um, took a couple of frontal shots. One... One was a long frontal shot. I probably, it was like 40 yards. I should not have taken a 40 yard frontal. Um, and I hit him a little high. This is and why it, we like Ty though, because he's not, a, he doesn't BS. It tells you how it is. Like I personally wouldn't shoot one inside 20 yards in the chest. Right. I'm not as good of an archer as you, but 40 yeah. is a, that's a poke. That's a lot. It's too far. I, I would never do it again after doing it, mm-hmm. but it was one of those situations where I felt confident. But I hit him. I did hit him a little high. I hit him a little higher than I want, was aiming, and I ended up breaking one of the, sp- the spinal process in his neck, and it broke the pro- spinal process and then cut the jugular, and he ran like 110 yards and died. Um, mm. And then I took another frontal where I hit a limb, and same deal, hit the spinal process and frontal, and it broke the bone and then cut the jugular. Um. And he died. That one ran probably 150 yards. And then I was able to get up on him and put another arrow in him. But the bull I shot this year, which just reaffirms my belief in these broadheads, I um, I shot, and I don't know if he took a step when I shot or I made a bad shot. I'm not sure exactly what happened because one thing I've learned when you film your hunts and stuff, I guarantee you what you think happened when you shot and shoot an animal with your bow is not always exactly what happened. In fact, most times it's not like what you think happened and what really happened are usually two different things. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't know what happened with this bull. I don't know if he took a step or I just, I just jerked the shot or what, but he was quartered away. It was a, it was a little longer shot. I was aiming last rib and I ended up hitting him. So where I was aiming was last rib. It should have hit the offside shoulder. Um, where I hit was right in front of the hind quarter and it, and it came out, it was a complete pass through and it came out like six inches behind the front shoulder. So it went through, went through guts, liver, um, and then probably one lung. Mm-hmm. I know I didn't get two lungs because he ran like 200 yards and then laid down and it took him an hour to die. But the fact that it went through guts was a complete pass through and went through the, you know, almost full length of his body. And then he died. Like most of the time, if you get that shot, you're going to have to put another arrow in him. Um, and it just reaffirmed my belief in those broadheads. They're, um, they're killers. Hmm. I talked, I talked to a guy, I've shot a lot of broadheads over the years. I've shot the shuttle tees, shot the, a couple of smaller manufacturers. I'm still shooting the slick trick, uh, Viper tricks, 125s. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's there's a lot of people that shoot those and believe in those. I've just not shot those. Mm-hmm. Um, I think at the end of the day, man, you know, a lot of people say, Oh, you can shoot them with a field point and they'll die. I'm like, Yeah, maybe, mm-hmm. but maybe you won't recover them, you know, kind of deal. But if you're if your broadhead's not sharp, like and I'm talking razor sharp, like these QADs, when you take them out of the package, you cut yourself. There, there's just no way to get them out of the pack, they're that sharp. And 
And at the end of the day, your broadheads have to be like scalpel sharp. Yeah. You know, an elk, and this is a stat I heard a long time ago, was an elk is the fastest reproducing, blood reproducing animal in North America. So they can reproduce something like seven quarts an hour or some, some ridiculous number. So, so that elk I shot is definitely still alive. <laughs> well, it's funny <laughs> you said that. I want, I want to talk about that because uh. I've, I've, been, I've been on a social media. It's my pet peeve. Um, that high shot, I believe, like doesn't exist. Spine. Well, no, it does. It below the spine, of, and there's a below the spine and above the lungs. There's a gap there. Yeah. And I've gotten on a couple of arguments with freaking doctors. Like there's a, a doctor that I had a debate with who said it's not possible. The lungs fill up that entire cavity. And there's another popular social media person um, that killed an elk and then they blew the lungs up and says, see, they take up the whole cavity. Like, See, yeah. I, so I've recently became aware of this, like basically the idea that no man's land doesn't exist. Yeah. Yeah. And That's, I'm calling bullshit. Right. <laughs> um, and I may be wrong. Maybe I'm wrong. I'm not a doctor. I'm not a biologist. Um, but I'm, I believe, I believe it exists because I've seen what you described way too many times. Um, yeah. And I've had it happen myself where complete passer and witness the elk alive. And I'm here to tell you, if you shoot an elk through the lungs, they're going to die, right? Yeah. Like if you're broadhead sharp. Where I hit that elk, I mean, he was completely broadside. If I would have hit his lungs, there would have been a lot of blood and he wouldn't have gone very far. Like it would have been a double lung. Like it wasn't, it wasn't a quartering away. I saw the penetration. It was buried three fourths in the elk. And there was literally no blood. He didn't even seem phased when he ran off. And I'm pretty sure the next morning, on the next ridge over, we got into that same bull. That's the way that he, he was bugling. And then all of a sudden he ghosted us and yeah. he was fired up. And I think he was like, Oh, I recognize that call and what happened yesterday. <laughs> right. Yeah. yeah. Um, I will say that with a high lung, um, a high lung hit, they won't bleed much Yeah, because, because that blood fills their lungs, like goes into their cat chest cavity. So there won't, there won't, and, and that, you know, like on a glass, if you put a hole at the top of the glass, it's only going to leak out a little bit, right. but if you put a hole at the bottom of the glass, it's going to all leak out. So a high lung, a high lung hit's not going to bleed a lot anyway, but typically if you hit those lungs, that blood bleeds into the lungs and fills their lungs up and they die faster. Hmm. I've, I've killed a few elk on video. They've, they're on the interwebs. You can watch them die. And those high lung hits, man, if they run 20 yards, that's a long ways. Like it just fills their lungs fast. Yeah. Um, so well, anyway, for a second there, I was thinking, Oh my God, is that elk dead somewhere on that mountain? Like, but we, I mean, we looked for six hours and I mean, yeah. drop of blood. And then after like 200 yards, just no blood anywhere and hands and knees looking, looking, looking. And at the end of the day, I was just like, I know what I saw. I know where the arrow was. And I don't, I feel like that. I don't feel like that elk is dead. Mm -hmm. I felt like we gave it our, our due diligence. And I've always wondered like the, if there was the ability to call in a tracking dog on, but I, I assume that it's illegal across most uh, mm. state and federal I land. I don't know. I don't know about Wyoming. I know Montana. Well, this was New Mexico. Yeah. 
Oh, New Mexico. But, right. Yeah, it was New Mexico. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know about, I, I believe in them. Right. Um, oh, for I'm, sure. Yeah. I believe in them. I mean, if they're legal, I've never shot an animal in North America and had to use a blood tracking dog. I've been on a deer hunt in South Texas where somebody shot a buck and they took two, uh, um, Texas Lacey dogs out, which is like our state dog. And they're, they're an interesting breed. They say that they have coyote in them. Uh, ah. but those dogs found that buck within, I don't know, 30 seconds of them putting it out on the blood. Seriously. Tree. Yeah. But that South Texas brush country is so thick. Like that's why it right. was, seems almost impenetrable for a person. You put the dogs in there and then bay it up and go finish it off. But in Africa, there's been two or three occasions where, you know, you, and over there you're taking a lot more, you're taking longer shots um, with a rifle. And I've had a warthog, uh, a blessed buck, and I shot a sable with my bow last year, and I, sh I hit it far back. It was a die. I mean, it's, we had the video; you could see where the arrow was. And he's like, "This thing's gonna die. We can wait all day for it to die, or we can just put the dog on it, and the dog will bay it up, and we can go shoot it again quickly." I was like, well, "Let's do that one." <laughs> <laughs> and by dog, I mean a freaking. Jack Russell Terrier, right? Not yeah. a real dog, but I mean, I'm not knocking the Jack Russell. Those things, pound for pound, you can't tell a Jack Russell he only weighs ten pounds. Yeah, those things. They're, are, ass, they're assholes. They're, they're, I, I own they're assholes. <laughs> yeah, they make great blood tracking dogs. They, oh, they yeah. swear by them over there. And I ask them why, like, why don't you use a hound or something bigger? Like, because they get killed. This is a smaller target. Oh. These animals turn to fight them. And he goes, and and I asked him. I said, well if we turn this thing out on the sable, I don't want to risk bumping it and losing it. He goes, no, do you don't understand? The sable is going to turn and fight. They don't run really they run a little bit, but he's going to fight. Mm -hmm. So we will not lose him. I said, well, okay, then I'm sold on that idea. Sure enough. Dog bays him up. Sable's preoccupied trying to fight the dog. Smoking. Yeah. Well, and I, I, um, like I struggle with the legality of things on that end because, um, like you don't use dogs. The, the reason it's not legal is because they don't want people using that dogs to hunt big game. Right. right. Which is, I get yeah. like whatever, you know, they, I know they do it back East. Mm -hmm. I know that's a thing back East. And that's fine. But, I'm not knocking it. Whatever. Yeah. That's I'm not, culture. I'm not either. I'm not either. Uh, I got a funny little story about that. I, I want to do want to tell, I will knock some Easterners. Um, but so whatever it is, but to retrieve your game, like, I'd rather break the law to retrieve an animal that I shot and not let it go to waste than just not even do it. And if you can't find it, you can't find it mm -hmm. because it happens. You know, um, I know a very reputable bunch of guys that freaking they shot an elk and could not find it. And if it was going to be found, you know, they were going to find it kind of deal. And they brought in a, some kind of little terrier. I forget what kind of breed it was but it was like a little jack russell type terrier and that dog ran on a beeline and that that freaking elk went a mile and a half from where it was shot and died mm -hmm. on its feet and so i'd rather see that animal recovered and yeah you know if you're breaking the law whatever because i I'd rather, I'd rather I would agree with that ideology although i can't risk getting that ticket with in this line of work yeah. you know it's like right yeah, look at the Bomars. Like, we just came out yesterday that they, all of those poaching charges and 
baiting charges in Nebraska. They plead it down to a conspiracy to violate the Lacey Act. I don't know if you know what I'm talking about, but the Bo- I don't. Josh and Sarah Bomar were charged in 2017 with all of these violations in Nebraska. So I'm looking at this video of Josh that he posted on his Instagram saying, yada, 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 all of our charges have been dropped. You know, we're so proud to say that we're innocent and thank you guys for sticking with us, blah, blah, blah. And he's like, but we are guilty of conspiracy and that's fair, you know, like, so then I look on the Outdoor Life article. Well, it means that he still lost three deer they confiscated. They have to pay $25,000 to the Lacey Act Fund for violating it. And they can't hunt in Nebraska for a year. And then they will, on top of that, still be sentenced in, in January by in, in federal court. And they might have to pay civil restitution on those three bucks that they lost. So I'm like, so you're really innocent? Uh, well, doesn't sound like somebody's innocent. Yeah. Yeah. I, I'll go out and publicly say that I think he's a retard. Well, he did burn his truck up. He's and a, put it on he's social a fucking media. retard <laughs> for a lot of reasons, but that's a, that's a prime example that's out there on social media. I couldn't believe that. It looked that like was... an insurance job to me, but whatever. Yeah. Um, yeah, I have not been a fan of them since they, their little bear thing in Canada. It's like, see, I didn't care about that. Problem. Not that I'm opposed to, I'm not opposed to spearing. I'm not opposed to using whatever. I'm not opposed to that. Um, I'm just opposed to the way they handled themselves in the whole situation. And, well, I thought it was a joke that Under Armour dropped him when he legally did it. Yeah. Uh, personally, I was like, well, I'm never buying Under Armour again. That's where I was on it. I was like, "That's he. this was a legal act. It was an ethical kill. Why are you, why are we dropping this guy? Because we don't like the aesthetics. I think, I think it's the way he handled it. Like, the way it was portrayed and handled. Hmm. You know, there's there's some things that you do that the whole world doesn't need to know mm-hmm. you know and you know you personally me personally i guarantee you there's things that i do that the world doesn't need to know and i don't tell them and i don't show them and i don't put it on the interwebs you know mm-hmm. and that was one of them that was a thing not not the spearing part not the killing of the animal it's just how he portrayed the whole situation and just I glorified it you mean yeah just i just kind of like a jackass just mm-hmm. you know unrespectful and i don't that was my my viewpoint on it but mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. we didn't we're not here to talk about that no side railed um, no i was just asking if you heard if you heard about because we were talking about yeah i didn't were, i didn't i didn't hear about their newest their latest and greatest but it always seems to be something with them right right like right. it's and it's, it's always a stain on all the rest of us that are yeah. in the industry like when a when a when a popular personality gets popped for multiple hunting and game violations it doesn't look good for any of us yeah we were talking about that because we're talking about the legalities and getting pinched for things you know Mm. and i you know yeah you're you i agree with you and so the story on my bull i shot him i hit him back i was hunting very close to private in fact i was closer to private than i thought um like within 80 yards of a Mm -hmm of a private piece of private ground, no fences or anything. It's just, it was just wide open stage. But, um, that bull ended up dying 50 yards inside of private. And I knew that the guy had, he's had some hunters that leased the place and all that stuff. And so I'm like, I'm not screwing this up. I'm so I, 
I didn't have his number. I was able to call my wife, ask my wife to drive over to their property, see if they were home, see if I could go get, get the elk that I'd shot. And he did grant me permission. It got a little weird. He wanted the horns. <laughs> I wasn't good. Yeah. He wanted me to leave the horns. I'm, I'm like, no, I'm leaving the horns. I can't um, imagine that conversation. He's like, you can take the meat, but I want the horns. I want the antlers. That's how that went down. Yeah. Well, actually, it didn't go down exactly that way. Things were really weird. He's like, yeah, you can go get it. Go get because it, it was hot. He was laying out in the sun. He's like, go get that broke down. When you're done breaking it down, let me know and leave the horns. I'm like, well, do you want to see where I was standing? Do you want to see where the bull was when I shot it? Do you want to see where it died? Like, that's what I thought. So I broke it down. It took me four hours, um, boned it out, you know, on the animal. You know, I did. I didn't pull quarters. I just boned it out mm -hmm. as it laid. Got everything off. Took me four hours, and then I called him, and he didn't answer. Meanwhile, I'd called the game warden to let him know, like, "Hey, this is what's going on. I want to cover my ass. I have permission. I talked yep. to the guy. Yep, because I figured he'd end up getting a call if something got fishy, and so I was just wanted and like sent everybody GPS coordinates where I was standing. I marked everything, um, and I knew it was all trackable, like my yeah. boot tracks in the sand and then the dirt. Like you could track all that stuff. So. I wanted to verify everything. I didn't want to get pinched because like you were saying, anytime, if you do something and you get a ticket like that nullifies everything that you've ever done. Right. Like if, even if, even if that was an accident or something happened, you broke the law. That one, one thing can just, I think there's some things that are forgivable. Like for example, I've gotten one ticket in my life and it was because I didn't have my hunter education card on my person. I'm like, really? Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. Uh, it was Christmas day. This is before I even did this for a living, but we were hunting. It was Christmas day and we were duck hunting my buddy's property. And the guy that leased the property from his dad to run cows on it, changed the combo on the lock. So me and my buddy didn't have the combo. So we just parked at the gate and hopped the fence. Well, you know, we're banging away on these ducks. We limit out, we get back to the truck and the game warden's there and he's pissed because someone called him on Christmas day. Like, Hey, someone's <laughs> off the fence over here. So he's already yeah. mad. Yeah. And he's looking for a reason to give a ticket. And I had left my hunter education. I think I, I don't know where it must've just left it in my truck and we were my buddy's truck or something. And, uh, yeah, he, he wrote me a ticket for that. And, you know, it was like a $20 fine or something, but. And that's something that he just wrote you the ticket because he was pissed. <laughs> right. I mean, but I, but I should have had my hunter education card on it, but it, it's basically like if you, you know, you have insurance for your vehicle, but you're driving someone else's vehicle and you don't have it. Well, okay, here's your ticket. Take care of it. It's a 20, it's $20 or whatever it is. Well, it's not really, you didn't, you didn't poach anything. You didn't, it's not a game violation where you were unethical. You know, I, so I think there is a, like, there's a gray area there. Like, well, yeah. yeah. And in most States that you, you know, you have to have your hunter education to buy a license. So, you know, you know, you mm -hmm. got it. There's definitely gray areas and there's definitely, but in, in the public eye, man, you know how it is. It's, it can be freaking black or white. And well, which again is be, why I wouldn't risk with the tracking dog. And today, you know, like it's just not, it's, there's no way there's certain, there's things a lot of my buddies will do. And I'm like, yeah, you know, not around me. I know you could see those ducks and it's five minutes till legal shooting time. I personally am not going to participate in shooting those ducks. Do I think it's unethical? Probably not unethical, but it's illegal. So it doesn't matter to me. Like yep. I can't do it. 
they're like whatever <laughs> i'm like God. okay and that i mean shit happens too like accidents happen i when i was brand new to waterfowl when i moved to montana and my very first goose hunt and i read the rigs you know brand new to waterfowling read the rigs went on my first we were float hunting geese out of a canoe mm-hmm. and uh i shot you know shot all these geese and i was proud of myself and we get to the boat ramp and pull out and game warden walks in. hey guys how's it going and oh yeah and here's you know here's we got life jackets you know i'm i'm like i'm on the up and up and i'm proud of myself we limited on geese and he's you know pulling the geese out and counting them and everything and he's like how many did you shoot i'm like five like it's what the reg said i could shoot five and i shot five i'm limited out i'm pretty proud of myself I'm like all right cool he goes back to the rig and I'm getting all my gear out and he's like, yeah, you got everything you need. You're all your flotation device. Everything's cool. And so he goes back to the rig and I, I get all my gear up and we go to, you know, get the rig, start loading everything in the rig. And he was still in his, his vehicle. And so I walked up and say, you know, Hey, is, you know, everything cool. Like, do we do, do we do good? I'm all proud. And he's like, what, where did you say it said you could shoot five? I'm like in the regulations. And so I grab it and we're, we're looking at it. I'm like, Oh, right there. He goes, that's, that's for the central flyway. Um, we're in the Pacific flyway. I'm like, <laughs> I didn't even know there was different flyways, you know? Uh-huh. And he's like, it looks like in the Pacific flyway, you can shoot four geese. I'm like, mm. fuck, uh-huh. you know? And I'm like, I, Hey, it is what it is. I said, you know, write me a ticket. I get it. I understand. I won't, I don't, can't hold that against you for sure. Mm-hmm. I did that. I'm an idiot. He's like, don't worry about it. Here's a warning. You know, now don't do it again. I'm like, yes, sir. Thank you, sir. And he gave me a warning and you know, I read, I realized and I learned a valuable lesson there, but I didn't know. That's yeah. a new water and I fountain. think that's a, makes a, that's a valuable point. Sometimes game wardens can use things as a teaching lesson and not not make you not not make you resent them and and yeah like you said you did that i didn't have my hunter education that day my card on my person i had taken the class but i didn't have the card with me that i'm the one that didn't have it you know it's my it's when he wrote me the ticket i didn't say anything to him like you're just a jerk you know whatever i just yeah yeah and kind of of don't blame him for being pulled out on christmas day (laughs) mm -hmm. um But yeah, but the, I mean, that was cool. That game warned. Obviously, he knew that you were new to waterfowling too. Mm-hmm. And instead of just torching this new waterfowler, who's clearly very like fired up about it and is proud of what they went out and did, you know, he's like, here's a lesson without kicking you in the crotch. Yeah. So, and I learned it well. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, shit does happen. Yeah. Um, so what tags do you have left for this fall? Are you done now? I have a deer and an antelope tag. And then I have a wolf and a cougar tag. So I'm going to spend some time, valuable time on wolf for sure. Uh, mm-hmm. But yeah, I'm, I'm pretty excited. I'm honestly excited about picking my rifle up now. I took a, I don't know how your listeners are. Everybody all gets jacked up about these ethics of hunting and long range stuff, but <laughs> I really don't care. Just don't um, tell us it's a six five Creedmoor. No, I shoot a three hundred rum. Hmm. Yeah. Not that there's anything wrong with the six five Creedmoor, but it's like a punching bag on the internet. 
there's like a cult following for this i know caliber. it's a really good round like it's inherently accurate round mm-hmm. i actually have the og 65 creedmoor i have mm-hmm. the, the 260 remington okay which is a 65 it's the og and it's a fucking shooter man that thing shoots lights out um but i built it for my daughter because it's got less recoil and she can shoot the shit out of it but no i shoot a 300 rum but i have this antelope tag and i i i want to shoot an antelope at a distance it's hmm. kind of my goal like what distance i i'd like to shoot it at 800 that's farther than anything i've ever shot but me too i never have but i i spent a lot of, i've spent i actually spent a lot of time shooting this summer and and I went to one of these long range classes. I was a long range hack. I could get, I could already shoot out to 800 yards, but, um, after taking that class, I learned I have a lot of bad habits and mm. it really, I really honed in on my skills and kind of cleared out some of those bad habits and pretty confident in it now, like way yeah. more confident than I was. And I, I consider that a challenge. So, and pretty much if you hit an antelope with a 300 room, it's going to die. So. Well, but also people, people sometimes knock the, the long range hunters, but that's a discipline and a skill set that you can't just go out and be like, okay, today I'm going to shoot an, an, an animal at 800 yards. That's just not how it works. Mm-hmm. Nope. Uh, I, so I, you know, I respect I'll... it. It's, and the place where I've really shot more things at distance is Africa because it, you know, sometimes it requires it. Right. You're shooting something in an open plane when you're talking about uh, big groups of herding animals, wildebeest, bless buck, you know, mm-hmm. they can see well, you from a long way away. Same with antelope, you know, and I mean, yeah. antelope, you can shoot them with a bow, but you can also, you get towards the end of season and you're a half mile from them and they're freaking running. Dude, I, 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 I've always heard how fast they are. Right. And I've killed antelope before um, driving back from Wyoming, a buck, crossed the highway in front of us and then was sprinting down the other side of the highway, like racing us. Mm-hmm. And I could not like to visually see how fast that thing was trucking. That was mind blowing. And I don't know what they top out at, but I mean, he I was th- going, I think it's 40 miles an hour. I was going to say like it, we were probably going 60 and he was, he wasn't too far behind yeah. us, you know, like, yeah, uh, it's pretty um, impressive. Here's my take on the long range thing. And, people who have a problem with it the people who have a problem with it are usually people who have zero experience at it mm-hmm. and my take is, is i would rather a guy that's been shooting all you know shot 100 and some 200 rounds over the course of the summer long range dialing his shit in figuring it out go out and shoot an animal at seven eight hundred yards a thousand yards whatever it is then most of like 90 percent of your hunters who have had the same box of shells for five years and never even verify zero before season starts. And they just go out and start shooting at shit. And they're going to still shoot at shit, whether it's a hundred yards or four or 500 yards, they're just going to fling away. And that I would rather have the guy shoot at 800 yards than those guys that are not shooting at all. And will just fling. Mm-hmm. They're just guessing. They're just, you know, lead in the air. Blah blah blah. What is it's Kentucky windage? Yeah, yeah. So, uh, I'm gonna put it what? through seven clicks above his back. Actually, well, half those guys don't even know what clicks are or have a dial scope. They're just freaking holding over four feet and hoping for the best. 
you know yeah. what's more what's more ethical oh yeah, yeah sorry kentucky windage, windage is no clicks you just yeah i want to put it four feet over his back yeah let it rip yeah so what's tell me what's i had a more. guy tell me that one time the first mule deer guided mule deer hunt i ever went on and uh there was four of us in camp all good friends nobody shot a mule deer and i was i was the last one there everyone else flew back the day before and the guide's visibly upset like my buddy had spent a lot of money I actually won uh won the hunt my buddy paid for it because side note uh we were talking about the glory days and i was like oh yeah i used to be a kicker i kicked a 47 yard field goal in high school he's like bs you never did that he's like we'll make a bet if you can kick a 47 yard field goal uh i'll give you five tries and if you miss all five you come to my ranch opening weekend of deer season and you clean every deer that gets shot and you cook every meal if you make one, I'll pay for you to go on a West Texas mule deer hunt. So I had a month to prepare. I started stretching, you know, got that old cannon, my right leg ready to go. And the day of the competition, I made three out of five. So I easily won the, uh, the mule deer hunt. But nice. anyway, the guide was like, okay, that buck's 400 yards away. And my gun, I had slid down some rocks and, my gun like came off my shoulder. We took it to the range and it was off. So he was like, well, you can shoot my 300 wind mag. I was like, okay. He hands me the gun. He's like the bucks 400 yards away is up on this knoll in the sun. Beautiful. It's like 180 inch mule deer, maybe bigger. It's a giant. It was big enough for him to be like, shoot it. And I'm like, I don't know your gun or your optics. I'm like comfortable at 200 yards with this thing. He's like, just hold it, hold it three feet over his back. Holy and he's shit. wanting me to shoot off the hood of his truck. And I'm just like, dude, I'm not comfortable with this. Like, we're going to end up with a wounded animal and I have to fly out tomorrow. I was like, I was like, I'm not comfortable. I'm not taking the shot. I've thought about that a lot of times over the years. <laughs> Having shot, you know, I, that was 10 years ago. I've killed a lot more animals in that decade, right. a lot. And maybe today I would be comfortable with someone else's gun being like, I, I, I got that. If you tell me and you're, and you're right in what you're telling me, but the whole thing was just so rushed and I just was like, I'm not comfortable. And I think there's something to be said. My son had the opportunity to shoot his first buck uh, last December in South Texas. And he's on him and he's, he, we're in the blind. He's like, dad, I'm not comfortable. And I think for a nine-year-old, that was a maturity level. Cause I think a lot of kids would be like, get buck fever and just, just shoot. Mm-hmm. And he didn't. And we ended up going back two weeks later and he shot that buck. And just dropped it right in his tracks. Nice, was, you know, super proud. But I think that uh, I think that a lot of people could benefit from having a little more discipline. Maybe you walk away with no animal, mm-hmm. but it's better than the alternative of losing it, just flinging away, guessing, flinging, yeah. just out here flinging. Yeah, not but, many people would have chosen to not shoot. Good on you. <laughs> like I said, I've thought it's crossed my mind again. You know. And I still don't have a good mule deer. I've killed a couple small ones, but going to Sonora, Mexico in uh, January. Nice. Should have a chance at a big one there. So maybe we'll make that, uh, we'll rectify that thing. That That's like the thing that's missing from my, my Western big game collection, I would say. Yeah. So let's talk a little bit about your time at BHA because it was uh, it was an organization that I've, I wanted to, you know, I stuck my toe in the water and I wanted to get involved. And I went to one of the rendezvous 
And uh, at the end of the day, I was just like, no, like ideology wise, I just, I don't, I don't align with a lot of what they believe in. And most of it, I'll be honest with you, I think there's a lot of hypocrisy. And I also think that I don't think they support the Second Amendment. Like, we both know Ryan Bussey was the chairman of the board while you were there. Uh, that guy wrote a book, Gunfight, which essentially made the firearm industry, which he worked in for 20 years at Kimber Firearms, made them out to be, I think he called them radical, racist, for sure those two things, and uh, and said the NRA was like a, a domestic terrorist organization. I mean, it's absurd. And that guy was the chairman of the board. And for me, that's like where there's smoke, there's fire. Uh, just like with the Bomars, like, you know, if there's this much bad stuff surrounding something, then I'm probably going to lean towards it's bad. And, uh, and, and I'm not saying the BHA doesn't also do good things because you worked there and you were part of a lot of the good things that they did. Uh, but you know, I just, when Ryan Bussey's texting our mutual friends and I'm wearing a shirt that says my AR self identifies as a BB gun. And I post that on my Instagram. He screenshots it, sends it to a friend. It's like, look what your boy in Texas is up to. What's up with this? Like, I, I don't get, I don't understand. Like, <laughs> and so what was it like working with that guy? There, there was a lot, there was a lot there that you just threw at me. So I don't know where you want me to start. <laughs> well, let's start with, let's start with what was your job at BHA? So I'd like, you, to, I'd like to go, go back before far, that. How I'd did like you to get go a little farther back yeah, for you? How'd you get involved with it? For your listeners so they get a feel for who I am. Sure. Um, I've been, I was on here once before though. We did talk about the elk hunt once, but yeah. Um, I am a redneck from Oregon. I grew up logging, um, all aspects of logging from, you know, trucking to, to everything into the mills. Like, um, I'm, I'm a middle of the road kind of guy. Like I, I'm conservative, mm -hmm. but, and I've had find myself having to do a lot more of this ex explaining because of my time spent at BHA. So I just want people to, so that they know what my opinion is when I say it, where I'm coming from mm -hmm. is the reason I, I want to go back that far. Um, I also believe, you know, growing up in the logging community and, and whatnot, like I'm a, cons I'm, I'm a conservationist. Like mm -hmm. I believe that the, we as a human race have a tendency to overindulge, you know, um, maybe, maybe we don't always take the environment into consideration when we're making decisions, or maybe we don't always take the resources into consideration. You know, there, we tend to lead on greed and that's written in our history as far back as our history is written. And so I, you know, I drive, I have two diesel vehicles, like old dinosaur aged, you know, Ford seven threes. And you still have the excursion. I still have the excursion. Yep. The one we so, took to elk honey. Hell yeah. I just blew the transmission up in it though. <laughs> but uh, damn it. But you know, so so I I mean I believe in utilizing the resources. I also believe in protecting them. So maybe I'm really weird. But you know, growing up as a kid and and into my young I you're weird. I think that's how I believe. Like I believe we can like I live in Texas and I'm I'm sorry to interrupt you, but hmm. there's oil rigs on every place that I deer hunt, right? Guess what? The deer don't give a crap. Mm-hmm. So what is my point? Uh, if you were to drill Alaska, you can do it in a way where like, it's just, it just becomes part of the landscape. And does it make it pretty? No, but your seven, three diesel has to run on something. Yeah. 
Yeah, and I mean, so I think there's I'm ways a, to do it responsibly. I'm a, I like, I really feel like Teddy Roosevelt and I would have got along really well because he believed in protecting the things that he saw were going to go away. And, he, and yes, we have to have oil. Yes, we have to have you know wood products. Um, you know, we have to have all of those things. I do believe that there are places that they don't belong. You know, yeah. mines, logging, like there are places that I do want to go where I'm not going to see a road punched right across that hillside. Mm-hmm. You know, I do believe there are places I want to go where I don't see oil rigs or, you know, whatever. It doesn't have to be everywhere, but there are places that do need to be protected. I agree. Yeah. Um, 100%. And so that's, and so that's what drew me to BHA was, it was this happy medium. This appeared to be this happy medium and some like common sense stances on things. Um, and, you know, you can't paint everything with a broad paintbrush. That no one thing is the same as the other in in utilizing resources or in protecting resources. They're just not the same. Each individual one is its own thing. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, BHA was a young, young organization. I saw an opportunity to use my skills that I had developed over the course of um, over 10 years up at, up at that point um, to put those to good use and helping build a young organization. Uh, support some issues that I believed in. And that was, you know, you skipped something you skipped. So you're involved with the logging. Like did that lead you to a leadership role in conservation or environmentalism or. Yeah. Yeah. So I was involved in logging, but I volunteered for Oregon bow hunters. I, you know, I became a bow hunter. I think it was 20, whatever I was 21, something like that. And I didn't just want to take, you know, I wanted to give back. And so I volunteered uh, for Oregon Bow Hunters Association, and that's where I got my start in the conservation world. Was as a volunteer, mm-hmm. and you know, bow hunters' rights in the state of Oregon. And so I, I worked for that for I think it was seven or eight years. I was also a self-employed logger. I had my own log truck. I had my own logging outfit, small, very small. Um, but in 2008, when everything crashed, you know, I found myself with no work and equipment payments and you know just not in a good place um logging took a really big hit in western oregon and i had a house payment like i'm not losing my house so i had to get a job and i ended up getting a job for an organization that i was a member of and it was oregon hunters association and so in 2008 is when i started my career in conservation and my work there was primarily fundraising you know banquets um, that sort of thing and then that transitioned into some, you know, policy work, you know, at the capital of in Oregon there, and, you know, hunters' rights, and you know, worked a lot with the Forest Service and their travel management plans, and that that sort of thing. And so I did that for like eight years, but I really saw the writing on the wall in Oregon politics because I spent a lot of time in Salem, the capital, and I I didn't like it. I, you know, I saw what was coming down the pipe and I wanted out of there really bad. And my wife grew up in Montana. And so her and I sat down and we were working on like a five-year plan to get to Montana. Hmm. I've always been an entrepreneur. I've always wanted to work for myself. And so we were just trying to figure out what that looks like. How do we do that? So we were developing that plan and 
I was still working in the conservation world. And I knew a lot of the founders of BHA because they, it, it was founded in Oregon. And I knew who they were. They were good people, believed a lot like I did, you know, just like I explained that mm -hmm. balance between utilization and conservation of some special places. So I was intrigued. And that's, that's when Lantani had gotten hired on as, you know, the executive director. Um, I'm not even sure what his title is now. It's changed a few times, but. And Land, for the record, has been on the show a bunch of times, not in recent memory, because I, I've distanced myself from BHA, but yeah, I don't think Land is a, a bad guy. I don't agree with the way the direction that organization has gone, but, you know, uh, he's been on the show. People have heard him on the show. Um, it is what it is. Yep. So I, you know, I kind of expedited my move to Montana and in getting the job with BHA. Uh, mm -hmm. Land hired me in 2015. I think it was like I started in June of 2015. Um, you know, again, a young organization doing good things, not afraid to get involved politically, which I really liked because there were definitely times when I worked for OHA where, you know, uh, pol politicians would make decisions and, and do things that negatively impacted hunting and conservation in Oregon. And we, we wouldn't do anything because we were worried about offending them. I'm like, no, they, they need publicly slapped in the face right now. Mm -hmm. And the organization refused to do it because politics. And I'm like, what are we fighting for? If we're not willing to stand up to somebody who's making poor decisions that affect us, what, what are we doing? And so that, that really was like the big driving factor for me, wanting to leave Oregon and wanting to leave that behind. And that's what attracted me to BHA at the time was we weren't afraid to get involved politically. And so I got the job. My wife and I moved to Montana and I spent a lot of time, a lot of my life, those first few years building, helping build that organization, increasing membership. You know, uh, when I first started, we had like 3,600 members. And I say we, I should say they, cause I don't work there anymore, but, um, 3,600 members in like 17 chapters. And when I quit in 20, I think it was 2020, uh, we had 40 some odd chapters and I, it's still a debate how many members they have, but they peaked just shy of 40,000. Um, so that, you know, that's what I set out to do. And I was really proud of that. You know, the, the chapter building and the leadership building, I, I can really lay claim to My membership building was a, uh, you know, a bunch of people involved, a lot of people working on that. That's what I set out to do. And I moved to Montana and that was the big thing, right? Is getting to Montana and getting out of Oregon. You and got me. I think I was a member for two years. Yeah. Yeah. Not anymore. Did, but. did I get you or did Chisholm get you? Well, you probably got, well, you know, you're behind the scenes pulling the strings on, yeah. on member recruitment and everything. And so one way or the other, uh, I think I signed, I think I was a member for two years. Um, yeah. And, and, you know, a lot, of, a lot of things happened over those years, but um, I, you know, I still believe in the mission of the organization. I still believe in a lot of the volunteers and the good work they're doing, but I just, you know, and I wanted to leave politics out of it. Like, I feel like an organization can take stances on things without 
picking a side politically. And I believed that uh, for a long time. And there were things that, you know, most of your listeners have probably seen or heard is, you know, the whole green decoy campaign that was smearing BHA, specifically Lantani. But I, you know, and, and in most things, I can set aside politics, like if we have different beliefs or whatever, if we're working for a better good of something that we can't agree on, I do believe that. Um, but it just became less and less, you know, there's the 80, 20 rules, what the organization always preached. Let's, let's work on the things that we agree on, like 80% of the things that we agree on and the 20% that we don't, we, for me, it started flipping. It started becoming 2080 and my beliefs politically. And, and I just, they just got to a point where I do, couldn't set those things aside. And Ryan Bussey really brought a lot of that forward for me and where the organization stood on things and, and how, you know, he and land think a lot alike in those, in a lot of those realms. And I just don't at all, yeah. not, not even remotely. And when Bussy was chair, like I, I really despised Bussy. And it wasn't for the work he did or didn't do, which I don't know much about what he did or didn't do. It was the fact that how he trolled social media and made his political views blaringly apparent. And he cost me more work than any 10 people in the organization. You know, we, we lost a lot of members. We lost a lot of leadership. And we'd go on one of his trolling rants on social media. You know, I'd have to put a chapter back together because they, they were quitting left and right. I turns out to Blue Wave, hashtag Blue Wave 2020 isn't really a, a nonpartisan <laughs> a hashtag to use. So I, I don't, did I ever tell you about my email? Because this was after our, I think it was after our elk hunt. Maybe, I don't know. But my email between myself and Land where I said, I sent screenshots of of it. This is after I found Ryan Bussey came to the studio, sat in here. We drank a few beers. He was on the podcast. This was when I was first like trying to figure out BHA. I thought, oh, this is a nice guy. And then next thing you know, he's sending screenshots of my T-shirt to our mutual buddy that set up the interview. Be like, what the hell's wrong with this Texas guy? Why is he wearing this pro AR shirt? So I'm like, this is so confusing. Then I go to his uh, Instagram and look, and he's hashtag and he's shaking hands with Democratic politicians. Mm -hmm. He's hashtagging everything Blue Wave 2020. And I sent this stuff to land and I said, you cannot have the chairman of your board. If you say that you're a, uh, you know, apolitical, you can't have the chairman of your board saying, go vote Democrat and go vote against guns. Like, so I got an email from Ryan and he apologized. We shook hands at rendezvous, you know, Hey, he, he said, sorry, you know, I'll try to keep my political stuff set aside from the organization. That didn't last long, I guess. Uh, yeah. Because he went right back to doing it again. Well, I think during that same time frame, I was I was on land so bad that, and, and you know, his defense was, "I'm in a bad spot." Ryan Bussey's my boss. I'm like, "Well, mm -hmm. you're the executive director of the organization, so you know, you need to say something." I I flat after I'd lost like the fourth chapter leader, fourth or fifth, um, you know, I went. I told Land, I'm like, you you either talk to him or I'm going to, and I don't care if I get fired. Like I, he's making my job 10 times harder than it needs to be. And he can just keep his political views to himself as long as he's the chair on the board. 
but it's not even that where his political views stand. Like, I don't agree with him. I don't really care, mm. but he is an absolute juvenile troll on social media. He, there is no other way to describe it. He, he's not in any way, shape or form uh, intelligent when he communicates on social media. Oh, he's and trolled he might, me many times now. And that's, there's no other way to describe it. And you don't get anything positive done being a troll. You're just a troll, which I have zero respect for. And if you can't, if you're that dumb and you're just going to be a troll on social media, then that, that, that tells who you are. He, uh, so, he, he commented when I put one of those, uh, I did that stickers on the gas pump and videoed it. And he was like, yeah. Oh, that's cute cable. All the intellect of a frat boy crossed with a, a mega Trumper. And I was like, dude, I don't even, I don't, I'd vote for Trump just because he's conservative. I don't, I don't call myself a Trumper or really have any allegiance to Trump. I'm, I'm a conservative because I believe in the second amendment, unlike your communist, sorry ass. But yeah, he's troll. That's the kind of stuff you get. Call me a frat boy. <laughs> like, how mature are you? Yeah, yeah exactly. My point. And um, and then he wrote the book and all this stuff. And Land would never stick up, like, you know, stand up against him. But you know, they share beliefs. They're they're very much the same in their beliefs, which is why, you know, it's a big part of why I took the direction I took. Um, uh -huh. You know, so you know the the issues it's that interesting to hear that ryan made your job that much harder because he's shooting holes in the boat that you're trying Dude. to sail as far as rec recruiting membership we're getting a bunch of people on the boat this is great come on rah 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 and then you have the board of directors over here screw the second amendment <laughs> shooting holes oh. in your boat you know and, and i and land you know land like you mentioned like lands had earlier conversation you know you know we're going to take a stance on this but not on that and he always had a you know good explanation for it. Well, to expand on that, what you mean there is that whole hunt real deer campaign in Texas. Well, like, that's not just the only one. Like there's right. there that's one example of the many times that this has happened. Mm -hmm. Um you but know, meanwhile, they're trying to ban trapping on public land in New Mexico, and you prevent your New Mexico chapter from saying anything about it. And I asked Land about that, and he said, Well, we're just trying to not take away from the bigger mission of the organization by getting involved with these, you know, little state things. And so then why did you let your state, your Texas chapter come here and take a fat steaming dump on our deer hunting culture with this hunt real deer campaign that you signed off? On? I was like, those two things can't, they're not symbiotic. Like either it's you let the chapters do it or they, or you don't. It's hypocrisy. Yeah. Um, you know, the Montana chapter constantly takes stances on individual big game management issues. All the time, all the time. They spent a lot of money on it, actually, which mm -hmm. I'm thankful for. I think it's great. Um, but, you know, don't don't pick and choose is, you know, I, I can't explain it other than it's either funder driven or personal choice. Right. It's either driven by the funding of the organization, which leads clear back to the green decoy campaign um, or it's just personal choice. You know, maybe. Maybe there's leadership there that is anti-Second Amendment. Maybe there's leadership there that's anti-trapping. There's certainly leadership there that is anti-predator hunting. Right. So, so all of those things, for me, fly in the face of the very culture that the organization is supposed to be representing. And 
I could yeah. no longer. I, I just got to the point where I couldn't. N- n- neither could I defend nor look the other way. Yeah. And because it did not align with my own personal beliefs. Do you think if they had a complete shakeup of leadership that the organization could, I think, turn the ship around? Oh, it'd have to be, I mean, a bomb would have to go off inside the organization. <laughs> because I still lot- think the chapters can do great things, right? I, I, I don't, I haven't lost faith in the, in, in the local separate ent- entities doing what they can in their own states. I just don't believe that, you know, from a national standpoint, uh, they have the best interests of, of the second amendment or a lot of times even hunting at heart, like land access doesn't mean you're pro hunting. And no. you just said it, they're anti-predator hunting. Here, some of them. Here's the um, problem. And I'm going to, I'm sure that I'm going to get some, a bunch of hate mail over this, and, but I don't care because I'm just spitting the truth. Um, you know, the problem is, is the organization in the upper leadership has taken a direction of, and this was the nail in the coffin for me is, you know, one of their, uh, we were doing a, um, you know, a strategic planning when I left, just starting strategic planning. And the major focus for the organization isn't expanding access to public lands. It wasn't, um, you know, CWD or, you know, any kind of wildlife management issues. It's, it's uh, diversity, equity, and inclusion. Like that's, that's the primary focus for the organization. Um, and we were forced to go take some, they call it Jedi training, justice, equity, diversity, and inclusion. And for me, it's like, why, why is a hunting organization choosing to, to go down this, but like invest not only a bunch of money, uh, but invest time, like precious time for staff to be working on those things rather than what's important, you know, to hunting and public land access or public waters access. Like those are not Mm -hmm. the things we should be working on. We're BHA was already the most open armed conservation group that exists. I'll stake my flag in that. Like there was no, there was very, very little prejudice if any prejudice against new hunters, I like, we were open armed. Like most of the things we did were to um, help new hunters or, you know, folks in other communities that didn't hunt, but just to help them understand our culture, you know, we already did all that, a lot of that work. Right. So why were we investing all this time and money into that? Um, I've seen that pop up here in Texas recently with Texans from Outlands. Um, the guy who started that, him and I have gotten way sideways on social media, and for good reason because I called him out and told him he's bad news for hunting in Texas, and there's no science going on with anything that he's put out in this organization he's founded. Well, if you go read their bylaws on their website, and they made all these petitions to to, to Texas Parks and Wildlife about banning mountain lion hunting and banning trapping and Yes, they don't come out and say, we want to completely ban mountain lion hunting today. But what they do say is, we want a five cat limit and we want all these limitations on trapping. And we want them now, today, with no science to support any of it. 
And then you read where one of their six pillars was, we want to be, we want to head up a advisory board to Texas Parks and Wildlife on mountain lions. Well, then you read who they want included on the advisory board. And it's just what you said, diversity, equity, and inclusion. Inclusion, they list uh, Hispanics, African-Americans, blah, blah, blah. I'm like, I, I, I love Hispanics and African-Americans and white people and all people. And I don't care. I want the best person for the job that's focused on hunting and conservation. This inclusionary crap has nothing to do, like you just said, with our mission statement. So, and then you, and then it got even worse, Ty, because they said, we also want to have animal welfare organizations have a seat at the table. Google what an animal welfare organization is. It's PETA. It's yep. Humane HS, Society. Yep. It's uh, Center for Biological Diversity. It's all the organizations that exist to sue our state and federal wildlife entities. And you want them to have... It's, Here's the wolf. We're going to let them into the sheep pen. And if you weren't anti-hunting or anti-predator hunting, you wouldn't have that included in that language. There's just no, there's no way that there's no other way to rationalize it. Yep. And anyway, the guy that founded it or started it recently spoke at the Texas BHA chapter. And I just looked at that and was like, Oh, of course it's so fitting. Wow. They had their event in Austin and he was one of the keynote speakers. So. Really? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So, so yeah. I mean, that's. I yeah. To to answer your question, I about can it come back? Can it be fixed? I mean, my struggle has been up to this point about saying anything about anything is, you know, the chapter level. Those folks are doing amazing work. Yeah. Well, a lot of them, you know, and. They're hardworking, good volunteers, and I really, many of them are still my friends today, you know, and, and I'm, I'm proud of them for, you know, doing what they're doing in a lot of cases, but I just can no longer align with it and agree with the direction of the organization, the work they're doing. Mm -hmm. you know? Do you think there are people on the board or in leadership positions that don't think that people should own air 15s. Oh yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. That's just sad to me. Uh, I'll tell you another reason why I, I like, I, there were so many nail in the coffins, but the, the, the one that just stands out now is such an easy one to point out is like they championed Deb Howland as secretary of the interior. And like, what has she done for us? Oh, we've only lost millions of acres in Alaska to hunting with no scientific reason to support it. Uh, we've, we've now got all of these pending statutes on lead shot bans on new refuges. And of course the next thing is, Oh, let's, let's go get the existing ones next. I mean, uh, she's not a friend of hunters. She wouldn't commit SCI girl. Or can you commit to a no net loss hunting policy, which the two before her did and she wouldn't do it. And then, of course, now we've lost caribou and moose hunting uh, opportunity in Alaska for no reason, no reason. And uh, I only can I only see this continuing to go south for hunters as far as uh, losing. We're not we're not winning. We're losing. Yeah. And these people say, "Well, we you know, as hunters, we can't vote for Trump because he's bad for the environment." Well, as a hunter, I looked at Trump 
and whether you love him or hate him or, or indifferent like I am, uh, we only gained under Trump. This is the way it was. Like we gained access, we gained opportunity, we gained rights. Like they just threw it in reverse. And this organization continues to champion those politicians. And it just doesn't jive with me. At the end of the day, it's like, I told you so. Like, here it is. I told you what was going to happen. Mm-hmm. And, they, and there's no accountability because, I, I mean, I think people are waking up and seeing that. But, like, where's the accountability from BHA? To be like, oh, yeah, maybe that wasn't the best best thing. Like, where are they when, when, when Deb Howland closes the, all of those millions of acres in Alaska? Why aren't they coming out and saying, hmm, we kind of we missed the mark on this? Right. I don't understand. Yeah, I don't either. <laughs> I don't either. Um, you know, I just, and, and early on, you know, there was this, you know, I forget even who said it. Somebody said it. I forget, maybe, maybe it was Uncle Randy. I don't remember. But it's something to the point of, you know, you vote Republican, you protect your guns, but, but, your public, our public lands are threatened. Our resources are threatened. You vote Democrat and our public lands are protected, but our guns are threatened, you know, to that point. And it, it, in the past, like that's been the case, mm-hmm. but I think of the last couple of years have proven to us that um, the left and that democratic party is batshit crazy. Yeah. And regardless of what you're, I don't care if you're, and you know, I'm only, you know, they make you pick to vote. So I have right. to pick Republican. There's two options. I don't, I, yeah, I don't feel like I'm not a Republican, but right. I have to pick a side to vote. And I, I guarantee you, I'm not, you know, Democrat. So, right. There's just too many things on that political platform I don't agree with. And so, and well, let me ask you this. On the Republican time. platform I don't agree with, but let me ask you this because a lot of people say, there's people that I hunt with that, that vote left. And I'm like, how can you be a hunter and vote that way? Well, you know, this, this, that, and the other. I said, let me ask you a question. Which side of the fence, if you had to pick one, is the only side pushing anti-hunting legislation? Anywhere. Where? I mean, it's a rhetorical question because it isn't coming from the right. It's always coming from the left. And now there are senators, uh, Ted Cruz, Mike Lee. There's Ted Cruz has been on the show multiple times. There are senators who I don't agree with on their stance on like transferring uh, federal land to the state because we know what will happen. The state, well, that's a big financial burden on the state. Okay, now we have to break it up and sell it to the private sector. I don't want that. So I told Ted Cruz, I said, respectfully, I don't agree with that. I would say the same thing to Mike Lee. And as conservatives, I think we can still, you know, have our opinion on that and try to fight against any type of movement uh, to take those lands away or transfer those lands to the yep. States. Um, but it, it's like, we're going back to the 80, 20 rule. Okay. Well, it's, it's like 90, 10 for me. And that public land thing is really the only one that sticks in my crawl about like, and it's, but, but people be like, they'll take Mike Lee and Ted Cruz and be like, this is the Republican party and their stance on public lands. And I'm like, that's too, out of 49 senators actually that have that opinion that are extreme right on that on that front yeah 
So yep. that doesn't represent the rest of us any more than I think that you, average Joe Democrat, wants to see a kindergartner transitioned and from a boy into a girl and think that that's okay. Like, I don't, I'm not painting your entire party with that brush. So, right. But, yeah. Um, well, interesting stuff. Uh, I, and I don't want to say I told you so, but I remember sitting on a mountain in Montana and I mean, you're, you were working at BHA at the time. And I was like, these are my concerns. And we had a really great conversation, but you know, here we are. And I guess this, this, where there was smoke again, there was fire, <laughs> but you have a, uh, a new venture that's in your past. I want to talk about bison ranching. So you moved from Missoula and somewhere yeah. now you're somewhere else. I don't know where you're. Yeah. Right so now. we're, we're South of Billings. Okay. Little town called Bridger, Montana, named after Jim Bridger. Hmm. Um, yeah. And we're right off the Eastern edge of the Beartooth mountains. Um, live right on the Clark's Fork, of the Yellowstone river. It's uh -huh. beautiful country. It's the transition from mountain, mountain habitat to, you know, the central to Eastern Montana prairie country. So we're right on that edge. Just enough to be on that edge that I had uh, one of my bulls attacked by a grizzly bear. So I saw that. Yeah. So, you know, we're just close enough to be to those assholes. Um, so but, you had to put the, it didn't kill it. You had to put it down. Yeah. Yeah. I put him down. So that was, you know, I'm again, my background has been logging and conservation. So ranching's brand new to me mm -hmm. and I chose bison because, you know, we love them. My whole family loves them. They're just an amazing animal. And I thought if I'm going to spend my days doing something from here on out, it's got to be something that I love, you know, something that makes me happy. Uh -huh. <laughs> and, uh, and so, yeah, that's kind of why we picked bison and not, I mean, there's just a hundred different things that are positive about bison, but that was like the biggest, biggest thing. And, it, and, you know, I come across bison through BHA. It was, um, I was starting a chapter in Alberta and one of the guys that stepped up, to help be a chapter leader when I was starting that chapter managed a bison ranch and I got to go out and feed with him in one of my trips. I'm like, man, this is what you do like hmm. every day. You're just out here with these animals. And he's like, yeah. I mean, he, he goes, and it was in the winter and we were feeding hay. It was cold, you know? And he was like, yeah, it isn't all pink ponies and roses, but yeah, this is what I do. I'm like back to our early conversation about, you know, a little bit of suffer in the backcountry mm -hmm. kind of deal. Like, I, I get that in my day to day we're building fence and watering and like it's all environmentally always a challenge. It's either hot during the summer or cold during the winter. And I, but I love that. I love using my hands. I've always enjoyed working with my hands maybe because I have more brawn than brain, but, um, but yeah. So after feeding animals with him, like I just kind of went on down this rabbit hole and just, did everything I could to learn about the animal and the ranching side. And well, you definitely told me in 2019 that you wanted to get into bison ranching. Did right? we have that conversation? Yeah, for sure. Yeah. yeah. That's cool. Yeah. So it's cool to see it come to fruition here. How many head of bison do you have? We have, it's a great it's question. The, it's the wild bison ranch, right? Yes. Yeah. Uh -huh. Wild bison ranch. Yep. Um, we have 64 
my wife just whispered in my ear. Mm. We, we have, uh, we've lost a few over the last couple months. So we lost that bull, um, lost a calf. And then we had a cow actually roll over in a, one of our, we flood irrigate here. Mm-hmm. So we have flood irrigation ditches and one of the cows rolled over in the ditch and she ended up dying. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 64 total counting calves. Right. Yeah. When and the grizzly them. attacks that bull and you have to put it down, do you, are you able to salvage any of that meat? Yeah. We, so he severed his Achilles. Uh. So it didn't like, he didn't get infected, you know, nothing got infected. Yeah. We knew that he wasn't, you know, he's not going to make it with that. So um, we just put him down. And so we ended up processing that ourselves. That's family meat. Mm-hmm. Um, but to my point about like the animals and being new to ranching, like that was the first animal that I had to shoot that I like, he was my favorite bull. Yeah. He just something about him. We had nine, he was a, he was a two-year-old bull and we had nine of those two-year-old bulls, but his personality, uh, we have two big breeder bulls and he was one of the offspring of them. And they're just chill, docile, badass, you know, 1800 pound bull bison. And he was one of their offspring and he was super chill. I'd be out working in the field and he'd come over and hang out with me and just check out what I was doing. Like he'd leave the whole herd. So he and I came, became pretty attached. So mm. when I had to shoot him, that was a shitty day. Um, yeah. It was pretty rough, but you know, it's ranching, right? Like everybody's like, Oh, that's ranching. I'm like, yeah, I get it. I mm. fucking hate grizzly bears now <laughs> like <laughs> with a vengeance. Like, I, I hate them. Yeah. But, um, but yeah, it's, it's been a cool journey. We started, so we, it's a family operation. My, my parents wanted to be involved and my brother who still works in Alaska, he, he works for Alieska and he fills ships there in, in Valdez with crude oil. And so he's still working up there. He's doing two weeks on two weeks off, but his family wanted to move down here. And so we all went together and bought this place and bought the herd. And so it's a family operation Mm -hmm. and uh, I'm primarily spearheading the management of the herd and the fencing and that sort of thing. But um, my, my brother and sister-in-law, they they're doing chickens, you know, farm raised chickens and turkeys and grew a little garden. And so we're kind of like a homestead, complex yeah. you know whatever you call it man i'm I, i'm envious on some level you know i live in mckinney which is north of dallas and when we moved here i mean it wasn't the country by any stretch of imagination but there were places where i used to dove hunt that all of it's been developed now and i just look yeah. at it and like progress is great technology is great but at what cost and for yeah. my mental my mental health i'm like i would rather see the open spaces and even if it's just a cornfield where I used to dove hunt, like now it's a car, a truck dealership, you know, and that, right. But you can't stop progress. I mean, that's one thing you just have to rationalize, but so to get off the grid and live, you know, a more rural, uh, lifestyle, I'm certainly jealous on some level. What, um, what about these bulls? Do you have to keep them separated? Uh, do they no, fight? no, they don't fight. Oh, they do fight. Yes. But they only fight during the rut. Mm -hmm. Um, and they rut just like deer or elk. Um, you know, they're inherently a wild animal. They have not been domesticated to the level that like cow cattle have been. Um, 
I can go. So we sell graze and I can go out there and move them from cell to cell on foot, which I do. I do often. Um, and they're, I mean, they're cool. Like we just hang out We're like, all right, guys, time to move to the next one. And we just kind of walk them into the next, next little field. Um, but during the rut, yeah, that was not happening. I, I, the rut was just starting and my sister-in-law and I went out to move them and, uh, the bulls were just tight. Normally, And I feel hundred percent safe. And I got like 50 yards from them and they just had fire in their eyes. And I'm just like, okay. And I've, they, they got all froggy and I had to, I was like worried I was going to get my sister-in-law killed. I'm like, Shelly, you need to back up and walk backwards and leave this field. Like, let's go get away. <laughs> and, uh, I kind of quit moving them after that, after the rut started, but, um, mm. but yeah, they rut and they're violent. They fight. And the two brothers, um, you know, bison will fight to the death, just like, you know, an elk will like some elk will fight to the death. You know, most of the time it's just pushing each other around and scrapping. But, uh, one of the brothers got hurt bad enough that it, it completely took him out of the rut. And I thought I was going to have to put him down, but he ended up pulling through, but he, he was just laying, he laid down for like two weeks straight and huh. just couldn't hardly move around. And so they will scrap. Yeah. yeah. What is the bison market like right now as far as and uh, do you sell these to local uh restaurants or like what is your what is your business model we're we want to be diverse uh -huh. um, i prefer to sell direct to consumer and a, this is like sharing the bison story and sharing sharing conservation of bison um because they are an amazing animal and they were nearly extinct mm -hmm. and we've you know we've brought them back and so I, I enjoy being able to have those conversations. So direct to consumers are preferred way. We have a website, wildbisonranch.com, and we sell jerky. So we have two different programs. We have USDA certified meat, which is meat that I can sell to anyone anywhere um, across state lines. You know, it's, it's typically what you buy in the grocery store. So that process is I load animals up into a trailer. I haul them to the processor they kill them there do you cry i mean you're attached to some of these guys uh, i don't cry <laughs> i don't like doing it right um i admittedly dude i bawled like a little girl when i shot shot my bull it mm -hmm. was like it was bad um i was a blubbering idiot but i also like freaking quartered him up and cut him up and skinned him out and i saved his hide because he's got big old claw marks Oh wow! So I saved his hide and his skull, and, but I, I did admittedly, mm -hmm. but I don't, I don't care for the USDA side because I don't like loading them in a trailer and hauling them to a processor just doesn't feel right. I just don't, I don't care for it, but mm -hmm. it's the nature of the beast. Right. If I want to do this and make a living at it, I have to do that. So I'm kind of forced into that. Um, there is a program where we can field harvest on the USDA front but I'm, I'm a ways out from being able to do that. So right now, anything USDA certified, which we have, and it's, we sell packages on our website. Um, we, you know, have to go through that process and they're inspected from the time I pull up in the trailer until the time they're packaged. Um, so that's one half of it. the other half of it is, is buying by portion. So you can buy an eighth quarter, 
half or whole bison and I can field harvest it here. Maybe think of college there for a minute, eighth or quarter or whatever. (laughs) (laughs) Wrong kind of dealer. So I heard. (laughs) (laughs) So I can, uh, yeah, so I, so I'll field harvest them, load them in a pick, gut them, load them in a pickup and haul them into a processor and and they'll process and divide the meat up evenly, you know, Hmm. so they'll cut everything up and then divide that into those portions. And then I can ship that whole portion to the customer. And an eighth is like between 30 and 40 pounds. And then a quarter's twice that and it twice that mm-hmm. for a half. So, okay. you know, you're buying for an eighth, you're buying 30 to 40 pounds for a quarter. It's, you know, 70 to 80 and so on. Okay. Yeah. Right yeah. Interesting. And, it, and we're all grass fed, grass finished. You know, we, I try not to even feed hay if I don't have to, but the hay we are feeding comes off of our place. Mm-hmm. And, and it was just one of the things I love about bison is they're, they're during the spring, summer, and early fall, they're like one and a half AUM. You know, that's the amount of feed they eat. And they, they measure that by cow. So one cow is one AUM and that's animal unit measurement. That's how much they eat in a month. A, a bison's one and a half typically and and during those months but then in the winter they're you know they're wild basically and so they're they're genetically trained to um are responsive to the weather and the the conditions and the feed that's available so their bodies will switch into gear just like mule deer out west and elk out west that live through harsh winters you know they, they can do more with less so they're eating, you know, dry, shitty grass and using less energy. And so they eat less during the winter. And so through our, through our grazing management, we're able to not feed hay throughout the winter. So we're able to just feed, you know, they'll feed on standing grass. And if it's covered with snow, you know, you'll see all those pictures in like Yellowstone National Park, how these bison are got snow all over their face well they use their head to push away the snow and then they'll get down to the grass and eat the grass underneath the snow mm. and which yeah. is another cool cool aspect fascinating yeah so do you obviously you lost one to grizzlies do you are you concerned about wolves um with the uh, calves no not really well I, and that said i wasn't concerned about grizzlies until we had one so um mm. But I just not saw really. Like, uh, I don't. I'm trying to remember where it was. Oh, I think it was in Washington State. Wolves just wiped out an entire. Uh, I can't remember if it was sheep. I think it was sheep. Goats. It was sheep. I think they killed. Yeah. It was like twenty something sheep. Six wolves killed in one night, and then you know, yeah. people like, oh, wolves only kill the the sick and the weak and the old. Bullshit. Okay. <laughs> they're killers, bullshit. man, and they're good bullshit. at it. Yeah, and I respect them for it. Yeah. Those are people talking shit about something they don't know. Yeah. You know, I mean, even biologists will say stuff that it's like, uh, the old comedian, what the hell's his name? Uh, he's the old guy. He's got a mustache, round face. The hell he's got, he's in Lowe's and he's walking through Lowe's and the, the Lowe's person asks, can I help you? And he's like, I know more than you. What's his name? Anyway. Yeah, he's 
he's in like Costco and they feed samples. He's in Costco with his daughter and the guy's sampling vegan bacon. Ugh. And he throws it in the trash. And can I have another one? He throws it in the trash. <laughs> Damn it, what's his name? Anyway, I feel like that sometimes. Like the biologist, I guess the biologist came here. I was actually gone when the thing happened and the biologist came and the trapper, the the state trapper came to investigate the situation and they're like no nah, it couldn't be bear i'm like was it a fairy like was it a what was it i mean it, it wasn't a cougar mm-hmm. the the cut the claw mark claw to claw was over seven inches huh. like what do you think it was was it i mean was it a wolf no it wasn't a wolf wolves don't claw right like just blew my mind and at the end of the day, I'm just like, yeah, you you love your grizzly bears. I get it. But don't freaking lie about shit. So what, did they reimburse you or no? They said, no, it wasn't a grizzly. Uh, well, the trapper, the trapper agrees that he thinks it's a grizzly bear. And in fact, he had just trapped, had to trap and kill one last year, two air miles from us. Um, so he he thinks it's and he did the investigation. He did the report and then they send that into a board and then they they go over everything and decide whether or not we'll get reimbursed. Hmm. And like, it's, there's like three different levels. One is just assumed one's potential and one's confirmed. And we're in the potential stage potential. It was a grizzly bear. I'm like, potentially here's the claw marks. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, there was claw marks, there was bite marks. I mean, it was, it's blaringly obvious, but we never found hair and never found tracks. Um, so it was like, well, I don't know what, I mean, I'll, I'll show you a picture. I'll, I'll send you a picture, but I mean, it's. So where you live and then certainly in Wyoming of late, there's been an, a, a sharp spike in human grizzly conflict. And those two wrestlers uh, got mauled recently and great heroic story. Uh, one of them fought it off of his buddy and yeah. ended up getting like his, he said he could, I read the, his quote was, I could hear my skull crunching when, yeah. when my head was in the bear's mouth. Yeah. But he did it for his buddy. You know, and they're both gonna they both lived. I mean, certainly Luckily. beat up and lots of surgeries and stitches and stuff. But uh, and then you were telling me before we started, a guy just got mauled this week and tried to get his 10 millimeter out, and the bear was on him and he ended up shooting himself in the leg. Somehow he lived. Uh yeah. That California lady last year was like camped near a city and got drug out of her tent and killed by a grizzly. Oh, that happened in Ovando, Montana. Um, oh, Montana. Yeah, 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 I know. That was this summer. They were they were road bikers, you know, not the pedal bikers. Yeah. Um, yeah. And Ovando's not necessarily a big town, but it's there's a community there and there's lots of houses and lots of people, but it's also it's on the southern end of the scapegoat wilderness. And it's got some of the highest densities of grizzlies in the lower 48 there, that whole Bob Marshall complex. Hmm. Yeah. Chisholm's in the Bob Marshall right now. He is? Yeah, he's doing a late season rifle hunt, or I guess it's mid-season. I don't know. But uh, yeah, he's he's in there right now with some buddies. Yeah. It's a beautiful place, but it's it's one of those places that's lost its romanticism because of the high predator densities. And, you know, they're – there's plenty of habitat there, so it's hard to d- explain why the, you know, the numbers don't lie. You know, the elk population is just tanked. 
in all of that country. Mm-hmm. And it's not due to habitat. No. But hey, let's uh, cancel the grizzly hunt. So let's see that. Oh my gosh. He's, I'm looking at a picture of the, the, the claw marks. Like, and that's your hand there? That's my hand. And you're not a small guy. I mean, you're I over. I don't, what are you, I don't have giant, giant hands, but here's yeah. a. Yeah, there's bite marks on the leg, but there's a measurement of it. It's like seven and a half inches from claw mark, end of claw to end of claw. <laughs> yeah. And, that, and the biologist is like, well, we don't know that that's grizzly. <laughs> Was it an oh, alien? Wow. Like, are we going to go back to the alien thing? Yeah. It's, fr- it's frustrating. It's extremely mm-hmm. frustrating to have to deal with that. But, but yeah. I was going to ask you, so do you think the shoot, shovel, shut up thing happens a lot more with grizzlies than people acknowledge or imagine? I will say that I know it used to. I mean, I mean, I know it still happens. I, I'm friends with the, with the federal agent for this area of the state. I, he, um, you know, and I don't, more of us just shoot and then shut up. There's not much shoveling going on. Mm-hmm. You know, and so he's it's a big hole. Yeah, it's a giant hole. We hear a short story here four or five years ago, three or four years ago, we were uh, bird hunting on the on the front, they call it here in Montana. It's over out of Shoto. And we did an Airbnb. And it was my first time using Airbnb. And so I booked this farmhouse out there. We were pheasant, we were upland hunting. And it's, I think it was late December. It was colder than shit. It was like negative two most mm-hmm. of the time. And uh, so I booked this house and we go to the house and the lights are on. There's a car in the driveway and, and I kind of go knock on the door and nobody answers. And I look in there and there's like cowboy hats hanging from the wall and there's cowboy boots on the floor. I'm like, what the hell? I feel like I feel like I got the wrong place. And we didn't have cell service there. So I'd actually drive back into t- a little bit out of town. So I'd drive back into town. We grab dinner. I called the phone number and I end up getting this lady's daughter and she's older, like, you know, in her thirties, I'm like, Hey, you know, we're, we booked the book, the house and everything. She's like, Oh yeah, my mom's there. Um, just go back and just, she'll, she'll be there. Just knock on the door, walk in. Like, okay. So we finished dinner. We go back and we walk, I end up knocking on the door. She answers. She's like, Oh, come on in, come on in boys. And, you know, she's an older lady. She's probably in her late seventies. Mm-hmm. maybe mid to late seventies. And I'm like, what the frick is going on here? Well, we booked rooms in this lady's house, basically <laughs> what it's boiled down to. And I'm, and you know, and we go bird hunting. It's my brother and, and a, a buddy and I, and we're like, we're wanting to get, you know, raise hell, get drunk, have a good time. And this lady's like, and can I, can I make you guys dinner? I'm like, Oh no, thank you. We already ate. We're, we've got beer in the, in the rig. <laughs> right. And we've got, whiskey in the rig and i'm like and i asked her i'm like hey we have a bunch of beer can we bring it in the house because if we don't it's gonna all freeze and blow up and she's like oh honey bring it in yes absolutely so we bring the beer in and she freaking cracks a beer with us and we're sitting (laughs) she brings out cheese and crackers and meat she's just and she sits down with us and at first it was like really awkward you know it was like wow like this sucks (laughs) we can't raise hell you know and she starts telling stories and she goes, she goes, I, I grew up here on the Rocky mountain front. Her, her dad was actually native American 
And she goes, we used to, we went into the Bob Marshall before it was the Bob Marshall. You know, we went in there and she goes, honey, we would just take cast iron skillet and some salt and pepper, you know, and we'd be back there for weeks and just eat off of whatever we killed. And then she goes to this story about, you know, they had this homestead and she goes, growing up, we always had these big mounds all over and she was like, we used to, as kids, we used to play on them and everything. And she goes, it wasn't until I was a young adult that I realized those were grizzly bear graves. <laughs> and she <laughs> said they were all over. She goes, you couldn't go anywhere without one of those mounds, you know? And uh, so it just, it was kind of a funny story, but it just leads to how, you know, they weren't tolerated back then uh-huh. and they shouldn't be tolerated now, but um well, yeah, was, come on now. As a, a really I know you hate them, but as a conservationist, you see that there's a place for them on the landscape. Yeah, yeah, I know. Yeah, I don't. What I, yes, I do agree. It's cool that we have grizzly bears here. It's cool that we have wolves. It's neat. Um, if I could push a button that would remove them both again, I'd probably push that button. Wow, but. The, and the, my, the reason is, is because they, we don't live at the same time that they flourished here in mm-hmm. North America. This is not the same place. It's not the same time. We're living on limited resources. And so basically what it boils down to is what do you want on the landscape? Do you want elk and deer, which is what us humans, you know, that's what we go after. Like, that's mm-hmm. what we want to consume. We have to decide what do we want on the landscape? Do we, do we want more deer, you know, deer and elk, or do we want more bears and wolves? I mean, well, obviously, the, the, one the, funds conservation, the other one takes away from it. Yeah, it's and, a weird thing to say as a conservationist. Hey, we want these things, but also, wow, they really screw things up for what funds conservation. You know, we don't live in the same day and age. The population is tenfold more. You know. The, the landscape has changed dramatically. I mean, we have settled everything. We've settled all the habitat. And now our tolerance for deer and elk are even less. You know, they, you know, they used to, deer and elk are plains animals. And, and so were bears and wolves. Like we've driven all of these animals to the mountains, basically. You know, mm-hmm. there, there's always been the transition of winter and summer ground, right? But essentially we've driven elk into areas that they didn't used to inhabit because the, we've consumed their habitat well we're wanting to bring these predators back to the where where they were historically but the habitat's not there and so we've driven them into these mountain ranges and so now the deer and elk can't escape because they don't have the the habitat to escape to and you know they they don't they don't have the escape abilities that they had back in the day so we've driven them into a micro, you know, ecosystem, basically, and the predators are having their way with them. And so Bob Marshall is a prime example. I, I'd be curious to see how Chisholm's hunt goes, mm-hmm. because it's not what it was pre-wolf. It's not what it was pre-grizzly bear. So that's that in, it, in itself is a problem. This isn't apples to apples. We're not comparing, you know, the, the late 1800s to now. They're not the same. It's different. Yeah. It just is. 
And so, but we want it to be the same now. And it, it's not, it can't be. It won't ever be. Then you throw in that we want to protect these animals. And the reason they're chewing on people is because they don't respect people. They're not afraid of people. So it's like they want their cake and eat it too, right? Mm -hmm. I don't personally, even though I'm a conservationist, believe in animal conservation and all that. I don't think I should be scared for my life every time I step into the woods. I don't think I should have to worry about taking my kids and my grandkids into the woods for fear of being eaten by a grizzly bear. It should not be a fear. Yeah. And so that's why I feel the way I do. Now I'm now as a rancher, I'm really freaking pissed, you know? <laughs> um, and, and it wouldn't piss me off so much if the folks that are responsible for managing them would admit, Hey, yeah, one of the grizzly bears got your bison, you know, and it's not even the, like replacing my animal or writing me a check like that. That is even less of a concern. But, you know, the trap, like the trapper called and says, hey, I'm thinking about bringing a trap out. And I'm like, I wouldn't bother because I see that son of a bitch and I'm going to shoot it. And, well, you can't do that. Well, I'm going to. <laughs> I don't care what you say. Right. I will shoot that son of a bitch. And it's back to our early conversation, you know, doing something. That, oh, it's illegal. But is it wrong? Right. Is it wrong for me to want to protect my livestock, my family? These livestock are my family. Mm hmm. Is that wrong for me to want to do that? It's it's illegal, but is it wrong? I think people get confused about who the real apex predator is. Like, yeah, right? Uh, yeah, you could say, oh, well, humans are way down on the food chain compared to a grizzly bear. Yeah, in that moment in time where it's it, it startles you and it's on you before you know it. But in the grand scheme of things, we walk on two legs. We communicate with our mouths. We can write. We're the apex predator. We have thumbs. Right. Yeah. Well, and, and so that my biggest problem with all of it is, and, and we can hunt wolves now, but what's funny is, is wolves, you know, wolves are, I mean, as far as the game that they play in survival, they're far superior to hunters. So they, they pro proliferate. I mean, there's lots of them and they're hard to kill. Mm-hmm. Grizzly bears don't respect us here in the lower 48 because they're not hunted. And so I, I would be, you know, I wouldn't be concerned at all about grizzly bears if we were able to hunt them because they're a smart animal and, and they're, you know, Alaska is a really good example. There are places where they're protected and you can't hunt them and they don't respect humans. Dude, I had three buddies, four, four, a buddy and three of his friends, uh, go to do a caribou hunt and they, they uh, got on, um, well, you know, they had a plane drop them off for a week or whatever, and all four of them shot caribou. Nice bulls. They lost 90% of, 90 of the meat from that because they were hunting in an area where due to Indian um, heritage, you know, whatever, which fine. Grizzlies were protected, couldn't shoot them there. Grizzlies, not afraid of them. Literally took out a forty-five shooting at the grizzly's feet because it's in their camp. Grizzly doesn't care. Yeah. Just eating the caribou while he's getting shot at. Or not shot at, but shot, you know, trying to scare him yeah. away with the firearm. Grizzly doesn't off. give a crap. Yeah. And they essentially lost everything except the antlers from that hunt. That's not healthy. Yeah. No, it's it's not a balance. And that's the thing, you know, if, if we're going to have them, then let's have that balance. But 
you can't have have them and not have that balance mm-hmm. i mean it, every year it's getting more increasingly common to have grizzly bear attacks you know mm-hmm. and it's because they just don't respect humans and that's not right right so that's why i feel the way i do i we're not we're not in the 18th century and we never will be and so we can't have the same it cannot i don't be think i same. could go as extreme as that where if i could push the button and just take them away but the fact that we're neutered on how we can manage them manage them like you said pisses me off because then you have these increased human conflicts and it's because they've lost their inherent fear of the real apex predator that walks on two feet yep so i don't know it's it, it is i think it's like one of the most it's one of the biggest struggles i have internally because i, I like these predators i like them a lot but i like to hunt them Mm-hmm. but I also like them on the landscape, but at what expense, like in the grand conservation scheme of things, I want more elk, right? I want more deer. So uh, yep. I don't know the answer to that, but you are right. We're, we're only going to continue to increase as far as our human population is concerned. Um, as we are wrapping up, my friend, I want to know if Jack is still with us, the llama that was on our, our uh, elk hunt. Jack, the badass llama. Uh-huh. He is. He actually got to pack a serious load of elk meat out this year, too. Nice. Yep. Um, we've actually added to the herd. We've got seven llamas now. Oh, wow. Yeah. That's cool. Yeah. And you I packed the whiskey in and some of the elk out. Yep. <laughs> um, yeah, I've incorporated some of the girls are packing now. We have since you've since you've been here. Well, so the year that you guys came, I think that was the year. Uh, we had a, a baby born. I think it was September 11th. Uh-huh. I think it was 2019. It was 2019 or 20. But anyway, so we've added a couple of packers. But um, yeah, they're they're great. I will admit, uh, I'm contemplating mules or horses. Right. They can I, carry you know, more weight. We, they carry more weight. Um, I'm getting older, but they, uh, you know, since we have a ranch. And we have, we have some grass that, you know, I think I can, we can afford to feed them year round. My biggest thing about stock, big stock has been, you know, they're expensive. They're expensive to feed all year long. They're expensive to keep and all that. But since we've moved to this place, I am contemplating some mules and horses. Mm-hmm. We grew, I grew up on them. I've always been around them, but um, my reluctance has been the cost. And then when you're hunting, you know, they're, it's a chore. It's an extra chore. Yeah. Full-time job. So I want to be hunting when I'm hunting, but at the same time, I don't want to. Pack because them. the llama doesn't have to, he doesn't have to drink as much. Mm-mm. Yeah. No, they're a camelid. So they, they require less water and they require less feed. And they're like a goat in the aspect that they'll eat just about anything. Uh-huh. So <laughs> I do like the llamas. What I like about horses and mules is they're lovey. You know, they, they like that affection, that human affection. Llamas freaking don't give two shits about you. They, yeah. No, no I tried to keep my distance from like, eh, I don't, I like Jack, but I don't want to get that close to him. <laughs> spit on. Uh, yeah. So, okay. So gastronome was the name of the freeze dried um, yep. food that you sent me. Mm-hmm. Really nice. Enjoyed eating that on my elk hunt. And so yeah, I guess yeah. you've, gastronome out of bozeman montana okay 
Yeah. And she, uh, she, she makes a bison chorizo hash. It's kind of supposed to be a breakfast, but you could eat it for dinner. Or... I ate it for dinner. Yeah. yeah. It was good. It was good. Yeah. Well, I'm glad so, you liked it. Yeah. Thanks for sending that. And the ranch again, wild bison ranch. Are you going to start your podcast up again? And we probably don't have time. No, I am. Um, I am. Yeah. In fact, we'll talk more about this off air, but um, I'm going to, I'm going to, it's going to restructure a little bit. Uh-huh. I'm going to, I'm going to broaden our horizons. I'm going to talk more politics because I can. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm going to talk more about wildlife conservation, just like we just did. Um, I'm going to try to bring like the balance because, you know, that it, it seems swayed. Like nobody really, nobody wants to say, yeah, I don't like grizzly bears or yeah, I don't like wolves or, you know, or I do like grizzly bears or I do like wolves. Like nobody wants to have this conversation that we just had. Mm-hmm but bring in the truth, you know? So I want to do more of that. And then just talk hunting, basically, yeah. ba- basically just bullshitting about hunting. Um, I won't, I won't have a co-host in the future. So that part will change a little bit, but, but yeah. And shooting That's, the bull. Shoot. Yeah. Shoot the letter N. So shooting the bull podcast. Um, so we, yeah, we have some Instagram accounts shooting the bull and then Wild Bison Ranch, if you just look those up on Instagram, those should Perfect. pop up. Right yeah. on. Yeah. Well, man, it has been too long. We should do this again. Uh, we should do it at least every year because I think the uh, there's lots to say, and I enjoy the conversation, whether it's in this format or on the hunt somewhere. So, uh, And maybe I'll, maybe I'll put in for Montana again sometime soon, and we can reconnect in the backcountry. Do. All right. Do. Well, thanks again, Ty. Thanks for having me on. I really appreciate it. And I really appreciate the conversation. Absolutely, man. Take care. You do the same. We'll talk soon. All righty. Later. So there you have it. A great conversation with my good friend, Ty Stubblefield. And uh, be sure to check out the the No Bull podcast once he gets that thing back up and running, which he told me was going to be possibly this week. Uh, So... Keep on the lookout for that. Ty's got a lot to say these days, which uh, I applaud him for. Uh, thanks for tuning in to episode, what was this, 28 of Campfire Conversations. Appreciate you. And you guys have a great week in the outdoors. <laughs>